Welcome to the Israel Daily News Podcast. Today we have a special episode with author and educator Ben M. Freeman. He's written two of three books. He calls it the trilogy. The third one is in the works right now. The first book is Jewish Pride, Rebuilding a People. And the second, which we're going to discuss in today's episode, just came out and it is called Reclaiming Our Story, The Pursuit of Jewish Pride. He's working on a third book about Jewish indigeneity to the land of Israel, which we are also going to discuss in this interview as well. Ben M. Freeman is inspired by his experiences within the LGBTQ plus community as it relates to pride, and he works to educate, inspire, and empower Jewish people to reject the shame of anti-Semitism imposed on Jews by the non-Jewish world, as well as non-Jewish perceptions of what it means to be a Jew. Freeman currently lives in England, but is originally from Scotland and worked as an educator in Hong Kong. We interviewed him some years back on Instagram Live for the Israel Daily News podcast as well, and we're happy to have him back. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled. It's wonderful to speak. It's wonderful to connect back with people who I spoke to kind of when this journey was beginning and now I'm slightly further on. Um, so yeah, I'm really happy to chat to you today. For sure. And definitely between the two of us personally, we've done so much growth in the Jewish world. Uh, I've done so much growth here in Israel since we spoke back. And when we spoke the last time, I was talking to you actually from New York because I had not officiated my Aliyah. I had not gotten my paperwork yet. And uh, it was COVID time. So I wasn't even allowed to re-enter Israel, despite I had a thriving business here, I had an apartment here, and I found myself as a Jewish woman actually locked out of my Jewish homeland due to unforeseen experiences, which has, by the way, caused so many Jews around the world to go ahead and make Aliyah and get that passport because people did not want to experience what I experienced. People did not want to be kept out of the Jewish homeland. How do you respond to that? Yeah, listen, I think that it's, I, I know people who had similar experiences who eventually have made Aliyah, but it took, I mean, an insane amount of time because of COVID. And yeah, listen, I mean, it's the dualities here, right? One is um, the fact that there was a pandemic and Israel had to do what every other country had to do and like lock the borders and like really try and contain this thing. While we figured out what it was, you know, I was in Hong Kong for COVID, for the pandemic, and that was quite an experience. And, you know, watching the West and watching the rest of the world try and figure it out as we were in Hong Kong. But then there is the other perspective that you spoke about, which is that is our indigenous land. And to be locked out of there, I think it's also quite a scary thing for Jews. If we think of our trauma that we've experienced and the fact that Israel is our indigenous land, it's the place where we can call home. It's also a place of safety for us. I think it's quite a concern, particularly in a time of rising Jew hatred, that we might be faced with a situation where we cannot enter. A hundred percent. And I want to jump into something that we talked about, which is um, you talked about in your book, The Impact of Jew Hatred. And I wanted you to further that idea and bring it home for us at the Israel Daily News podcast and bring it in to anti-Israel 
um, and Israel hatred. And you said that it's like you said that uh, anti-Israel is like cutting off our arm. Can you tell me why is having um, having a rejection to the state of Israel, having other people from the outside world talking to us about removing Israel? Why is that like cutting off our arm? I mean, number one, Israel is our indigenous land or the land of Israel is our indigenous land. Obviously, you know, we talk about Israel and we kind of use the terms interchangeably, right? When I say Israel in that context, I'm not necessarily referring to the modern nation state. I'm referring to the Eretz Israel, the land of Israel, our indigenous land. And that is where we originated. That is where we developed. That's where we evolved. And that's where we were rooted for thousands of years, even in exile. You know, I think about my own family experience and I'm from Scotland as many of you can probably tell by my accent and I have very strong memories of celebrating Rosh Hashanah, celebrating Pesach, Sukkot, Shavuot, honouring Jewish indigeneity, celebrating these festivals, many of which are rooted in the land and I mean the land right, the dirt, the agriculture, that is an honouring that is honouring indigeneity so when I remember you know celebrating Rosh Hashanah, I remember eating pomegranate and dates. And I was a Jew from Scotland. Those were not fruits native to Scotland, but we were eating them because they're native to Israel, right? They're one of our Shivat Haminim, the seven species of fruit. We were celebrating New Year in September or October. We were saying prayers in Hebrew. All of that roots us in the land. You know, when I used to think about indigeneity, I used to think about the idea that, okay, we're from there. That's where we're from. And it's not just that. That's a very narrow, kind of honestly, immature reading. It's that we're from there and that we are rooted there. So when a Jew experiences anti-Zionism, right? When a Jew expresses anti-Zionism, the idea that Jews do not have the right to self-determination in our land, that to me is a form of internalized anti-Jewishness. Because in a post-Holocaust context, this is an idea that came from the non-Jewish world, from the Soviets, from the Arabs. So therefore, quite simply, the Jew who experiences this or suffers from it has absorbed it. And yes, for a Jew to say, I do not believe in the right for a Jewish state to exist, that is a severing of some central component of ourselves. You know, how can you really go forward as a Jew if you believe that because I don't think it's possible and I'm not saying we have to agree with every single thing that Israeli government does that's not what we're talking about here what we're talking about is the idea that we deserve have a right to self-determination in our indigenous land so what I'm trying to do with my work is promote a deeper understanding of Jewish identity through Jewish pride and empowerment through the idea of a of indigeneity. What does it mean as a diasporic, as a Jew from Scotland, that I'm indigenous to Israel, but also trying to understand what is the impact of Jew hatred on Jews. And I think that is something we do not talk about nearly enough. And, you know, when you consider the wonderful, amazing, brilliant books written about Jew hatred, they often actually come from a non-Jewish perspective. They're thinking about, okay, how were Jews thought of? How were Jews treated? How were Jews described? And yes, there might be a little bit of how we of how that impacts us with the, you know, uh, expulsions and all of these other things and then genocides. But what I'm trying to do is understand its impact on us psychologically, on our identity and how it makes us feel about our Jewishness. And I think the example that you raised 
the anti-Zionist Jews is a really important example of how Jew hatred can impact Jews and can warp us, can change us, really, in some ways beyond recognition. And we're not a monolith. We do not all have to have the same opinions on Israel. We do not have to all have the same opinions on how to be Jewish. That's not what we're saying. But we are a closed practice. We should be operating within a boundary, as we have always done, as other indigenous tribes have done. And saying that's not a bad thing. We can have a variety of perspectives on what a Jewish state should look like. But to deny that we have a right to self-determination in our indigenous land, to me, is beyond the pale, particularly as the people who are espousing that perspective are actually advocating for self-determination for another people, the Palestinians, right? And I believe in the right of Palestinians to have a state. I want there to be a peaceful resolution to this conflict, which sees both people able to live in dignity and prosperity and peace. But that's both people. I'm not denying the right of one's group self-determination and promoting the other, which is really what we see anti-Zionist Jews doing. Wow, so much in there. And I and I love that in your book, uh, which, by the way, is called Reclaiming Our Story, The Pursuit of Jewish Pride. Uh, the cover art is pretty meaningful to me as a, as a new immigrant in Israel, because it's a it's a picture of a puzzle with some of the puzzle pieces missing, but on the side. And mm. and I find that I feel of course, that the state of Israel is the Jewish star puzzle that you have here as the cover art to your book. And I feel that I myself was one of those pieces off to the side that is now being placed back in to the story of the Jewish people here in Israel. And of course, I would never say that all Jews have to be here in Israel or need to be here in Israel. I would never say that, but there is um, such a beautiful, beautiful story unfolding here and there are people here in Israel that are writing the narrative as we speak I mean we are not even 100 years old as a state and so I love this puzzle piece idea there are so many pieces of the Jewish story and we and I and I run a community of of new immigrants and I tell them over and over again each week you are a part of the story. You are existing in the story. You create the story. And I really want people to know that you don't need to be a diplomat, a politician, or, or any kind of um, senior level executive to be a part of the Jewish people. All of us are a part of the Jewish story. And so I really also like that now that we're here, and we are reassembling as, as a people in a way, I think. I think that since we have the state of Israel, there are a lot of Jews that feel encouraged and emboldened around the world because they just know that it exists. They don't need to be there, but they have. I have conducted research, especially when I covered the March of the Living in Poland. Um, a lot of the Holocaust survivors that I spoke with, when I asked them, um, you know, how do you feel today or what's your vision? They say, today I feel confident because there's a state of Israel. And so people feel really empowered and emboldened by the fact that this place exists. And so what you're doing here is you're giving us a chance to look at, okay, we're here now. We're in this moment now. Who are we? How has the trauma impacted us? What's our story? 
right and and why why has there been such an emphasis on what other people have experienced of our anti-semitism our anti-jewishness why aren't we talking about um you know i'll give you a, a small example this is just one small example of trauma but um i don't like going anywhere without food in my purse okay mm-hmm. i i hate to I have a thing like I get nervous that I'm going to be on a train without water or that I'm going to not have a snack. And I always thought that that was just because I'm I'm sort of skinny and I'm always needing energy and I I run really fast in my mind and my body until somebody uh, gave a talk that I listened to and said, no, that's just trauma. That's just probably your Ashkenazi family from Europe. Like perhaps they were starved in the past. Um, They probably survived the war. They probably didn't have much. And uh, my experience is shared by a lot, a lot, a lot of Ashkenazi Jews that have foods, have food insecurities and, and scarcity and all that kind of stuff that's passed down. And so what I like in your book is that you're talking about these experiences. Can you share some of the experiences that touched you during your research from from your book? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that we are a minority, you know, to understand why our narrative has impacted so much. We're a minority. And even though we have a majority in Israel, you zoom out just a little bit. And once more, we're a minority. And Unfortunately, there is always a power dynamic between the minority and the majority. And often what we see is the majority setting the narrative. And we have kind of in some ways, I think, gone along with that as a survival technique, as a coping mechanism, because we're socialized. And I mean, in terms of the way that Jew hatred has impacted us, it impacts us in a myriad of ways. You know, as you talk about food scarcity, the um, nightmares Um, reactions to things. I remember when I was living in Hong Kong, I was living there in 2019. So the six months preceding COVID and there were, um, there was civil unrest. I'm not sure if people remember this. There were riots in Hong Kong. It was quite a scary time. You know, you would be out in the street and you would hear the riots. It was a very kind of scary, unstable time. And there was genuine conversations about what we would do if we woke up and there would be Chinese tanks in the streets, right? That didn't seem that far away. That was kind of a genuine conversation that people were having. And my perspective was to get out. And not everyone I was with and spending time with understood that. They were like, yeah, but it's got nothing to do with you. You're an expat, you're a protected class, which is really was the case back then, at least to an extent. And I was like, yeah, but my family's experiences and my people's experiences have taught me to get out and you don't hang around you don't wait to rush the exit and it was kind of an interesting conversation with people because again you know friends of mine were saying but this has nothing to do with Jews and I knew that cognitively but there was something inside of me and I think what we have to do is address all of our, all aspects of our identity, have an honest conversation with ourselves, and do it without shame. You know, some people might look at what you described or what I described and say, well, you guys are just hysterical. And listen, maybe that's the case. Fine, whatever, right? People can think that. I have but... to tell you, I'm worried that people listening to this show will find what I just said hysterical. It's in the, it's, I'm thinking about it. And, and yes, and they might. But the thing that I would say in response is let's be empathetic to one another. Let's be empathetic to ourselves. We're not weak. We're strong. We're powerful. We're resilient. We're survivors. We've created incredible cultural wealth. 
And we have these residues, let's call, let's call them, of our experiences, of our persecution, which is stretches back millennia. So let's be kind to ourselves and let's do a bit of investigation. You know, when I'm in um, North America, for example, I'm giving talks about my work. You know, I'll talk about internalized anti-Jewishness, the idea that I've absorbed the hatred that exists in the world around me. And I'll say, I used to say things like, I'm Zionist, but I'm Jewish, but. And I see people in rooms across North America nodding. So the experiences that you and I are describing are not isolated. They're not just ours. They may not relate to every single Jewish person, but I think they will relate to a lot of people. We even see if you know, if we, you know, you mentioned the Ashkenazi community, but of course we have to talk about the Sephardic community. You know, there's descendants of those whose families survived the Spanish and Portuguese inquisitions, who then went to perhaps the North Africa or the Middle East, the Mizrahi community, the Bet Israel community, the common feature of each of these experiences, each of these uh, communities, one of the common features is persecution. And how has that affected us? It does affect us. You know, there has been scientific literature written about the fact that trauma lives on in our bodies. And I, I want to kind of steer the conversation slightly away just from trauma, because that's not what we are. The most important thing for us to understand is that we're not what is done to us. We are more than the narrative set out by the wider world. We are an ancient civilization. You know, you mentioned my third book that I was writing literally today. And it's really extraordinary. We are a civilization. We had laws. We had a society that had different strata. We had music. We had norms and culture and traditions and evolutions. We were a civilization like any of the others in the in the region at the time. The, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, the whoever's, right? We were there alongside them. And we should be treating this with respect because not only are we a great civilization, Okay, that's just indisputable. But we're still here. You're a Jew from New York. Am I right in saying New York? I just kind of made that up, actually. Yes. Is that correct? Okay, you're a Jew from New York, now living in Israel. You're an Israeli. I'm a Jew from Scotland who lived in Hong Kong, now lives in London. And here we are in 2023 having a conversation about Jewish identity. Because there is this old adage, right, that they tried to kill us, we survived, let's eat. And I think we have to amend it slightly. They tried to kill us, we survived, and we thrived. Let's eat. This conversation is a symbol of our thriving. We're working on ourselves. We're talking about our community. And listen, there may be people, again, who did not experience the food scarcity that you described or the idea that you have to you don't want to rush the exit. That's totally fine. We're not, we're not a monolith, as I said. But we are a collective. We're Am Yisrael. We're a nation. And we need to treat ourselves with respect and we need to understand, in my opinion, that Jewishness does not belong to us. We are caretakers of it for future generations. So it's our job to reclaim it, to rebuild it, to repair it, to make it be the most beautiful whole thing it can be in our lifetime before we pass it on. That's our responsibility. And that is why my work is about pride. I want Jews to be proud of being Jewish. I want Jews to feel excited and privileged to be Jewish because I wake up every day and I feel really lucky to be Jewish. I think it's an incredible gift that we've been given and I want every Jew to, to share in that. 
Well, that's wonderful. And I want you to know that the opening of the Israel Daily News podcast, which I wrote and I present each day, um, I have a line in the intro that says, survive and thrive, people. Knowledge is the best weapon. And that yes. is what I say every day. Knowledge is the best weapon. It's very important to me that I should be delivering the news about Israel to the wider Jewish world. I want everyone to be a part of this story. I want everyone to be able to get caught up on what's going on here in 10 to 15 minutes each day. And it's very important for me for the reasons of what you said of pride and also of my feeling that we've arrived and we need to have the systems and processes and materials just as everybody else has. And uh, I want everyone to be able to access it and to know what's going on here. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, it's really important. So I really Absolutely. like that. Go ahead. Yeah. And also, I think, you know, we have a real story to be told. Mm -hmm. and, you know, we have we're very lucky because we have a law book and we have a history book and it's called the Torah. Right. That's the way I see it. I'm a secular Jew and I know that Jews who believe that, you know, God wrote the Torah would see it differently. And I respect that. But my perspective is that it's a law book. It's a legal document. And it's our history, which is wonderful. But what I'm kind of really interested in, especially with this third book about Jewish indigeneity, is what can we prove? And the, the most amazing thing about the Torah is that, you know, even in the stories that appear perhaps the most uh, outlandish or the most exaggerated, there's nuggets of truth. So, for example, if we talk about the flood, you know, we talk about Noah and the flood. There was a flood recorded by other people, by other people. So the Babylonians have written about a flood. Other people have written about a flood. And that to me is just extraordinary, right? That there is truth to what is um, to what was written. But what I really want to know is what we can prove, because there's a real story to be told. Our ancestors were real people. They lived in real places. They constructed real communities. They lived their lives via specific practices that were, you know, specific to them. And I want to understand that. And I really think, to be honest, all Jews should have literacy in that. Now, I was a history teacher. I'm a historian. So, of course, I think that history is the most important subject in the world. I know that every kind of teacher from different faculties feels that their subject is the most important. So I acknowledge that. But we have to know where we come from. Where, are we, where do we come from and where are we going? There is a reason that we rebuilt our state mm. or reestablished our state <laughs> in the Levant. Um, there is a reason. And what is the reason? The reason is it's our indigenous land. It was, as I said at the beginning, it's where we developed. And that's the work I was doing literally today. And, it, and it's immensely frustrating in some ways and very complicated because actually the actual origins of our people are massively contested. You know, of course, the Torah says that we were led into Israel by Joshua and we defeated the Canaanites and we built our land. Right. That's one reading. There's other people who said that we were we did come in from the outside, but it was kind of a more gradual process. There's other who said others who say that we started in the land. We were the descendants. We were actually Canaanites and we gradually split off. And. It's really frustrating for, because for someone who's so interested in history, what I want is like, I want the answer, right? What is the answer as Cardi B said? I want the answer. And there isn't really a definitive answer, but that doesn't actually matter so much because what we do know is that we were there. How we got there, yes, big question mark, but we were there and we built 
capitals, we built um, institutions, we had a monarchy, we had systems of governance, we had a legal document. By the time of the Hasmoneans, so kind of just before the new millennium, so the last couple of hundred years BCE, we know that the Torah was treated as a legal document and it was binding. So we start to see all of the things that you and I do, we start to see them be really adhered to in that period. That legal document was written, again, a big question mark over that, right? And even who wrote it, depending on, on your kind of belief system. But we know that it came from the land. And we know that the people who came before us were in the land obeying those laws. And I'm a secular Jew. I'm not here to say that everyone has to keep kosher, everyone has to be Shomer Shabbat. That's not what I'm saying. But there's a real thing to embrace, a real story to learn. And I believe that each of us should do something that's actively Jewish, not because we may or may not believe in God necessarily, but because it's honoring our indigeneity. That's what we are. We are an indigenous people. And just to say very quickly, Zionism is an indigenous rights movement. The UN set out um, indigenous rights and kind of how indigenous people should be treated. Zionism is our indigenous rights movement. And we reclaimed our land. It's absolutely miraculous. It's one of the most successful decolonization projects in the history of mankind. I'm not sure it's ever been done before. You know, the reclaiming of land 2000 years later, after most of us were expelled, and we have a right to be there. And again, we can live alongside and we can have non-Jews living in the society just as they did for periods in our past. And we can live in the diaspora just as our ancestors did in the past. Right. But we have a right to self-determination in that land. Period. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's very fascinating. What was fascinating to me, and I like that you said that because when you are able to see yourself in a story and you're able to see your ancestors having a similar story, it really does make things so much more real for you. And um, one of those things that I learned was about um, the time of the Babylonians. And there were so many Jews living in Babylon at the time, and they had the option of living in the Holy Land. And there was an exodus of Jews that left, but I think only one third during the uh, Persian, the time of the Persian Empire that the Jews were there. Only, I think, one third actually decided to leave and come to... Uh, the land of Israel. And that always really fascinated me. So I want to, I want to ask you two questions. One is, um, I want to talk about the Holy temple briefly. Um, I want to ask you, what is your, so, so for those of, for those of you listening that don't know, we had uh, a first Holy temple, it was destroyed. We had a second Holy temple, it was destroyed. And today there are actually some people in Jerusalem that are preparing for the third Holy temple. There is an organization that I know um, that gives tours of the Temple Mount, and there is an undertone of we're going to take over this place, and there's not going to be a mosque here anymore. Uh, at the That's the Dome of the Rock. That's the Al-Aqsa compound, that it's not going to be there, that we're going to replace it with the Third Holy Temple. I want to know your opinion of that. And I also want you to tell us uh, something fascinating. You said that the UN has a criteria of what it means to be an indigenous people. During your mm. research, what what did, what did you find about the Jews and how we fit or don't mm. fit into that criteria? Absolutely. So with regards to the first question, I think it's really important 
that we look at indigeneity pragmatically from a modern perspective. So I would never advocate for the destruction of Al-Aqsa because I think that it would unsettle the region. It would be an enormous affront to millions of Muslims around the world. And yes, it is true that it's built on top of our Holy of Holies. Yes, it's true that it's built on top of our temple, the second temple. And that is something that we'll have to process. But I think that pragmatism is really important. I don't think that indigeneity can be used to solely define modern political borders or even modern political policy. I think that we have to be pragmatic and we have to be able to be proud and to represent our history and our indigeneity while seeking compromise with those who live among us. You know, the rights of Muslims who live in Israel should be protected, right? And I think it's really important that Israel remains a democratic state because that's how it was founded in 48. Um, so I'm not I'm not personally seeking the rebuilding of the temple. I know that other people are, and I understand that, right? I understand their perspective. And I think that what we have to do is respect others' perspectives. I know that there may be people listening who disagree with what I just said, and that's absolutely fine. We're not a monolith. We're allowed to have different opinions. The most important thing to do is to come together and discuss and to try and find common ground. And if not, then you kind of recognize that you exist in conflict, um, which is an okay thing, actually. You know, we don't always have to agree on everything. And as Jews, you know, what are the chances of us doing that anyway? The second question you asked, so there's about seven criteria set out by the United Nations. One is basically a bit rubbish. So one says that the indigenous group has to be a minority in their land, which basically means that an indigenous community ceases to be indigenous if they reclaim their land as we did. So that's one that we kind of reject because it doesn't make any sense. And it's really predicated on the idea that indigeneity equals some kind of oppressed class. Sorry, a very British uh, tea break, excuse me. Um, but with regards to everything else, I mean, it could have been written about us. You know, it's one is, um, well, the first one is self-identification as indigenous. Now, we may not use that word so much, but it is a well-established fact from within the Jewish community that we are rooted in that land. You know, we call ourselves Am Yisrael. The, um, there was said to be a united kingdom of Israel. There definitely was an independent kingdom of Israel in the north. And now there's a modern state called the state of Israel. So there is a continuity there. We have always acknowledged that that is our home. Now, that's the Holy Land, the Promised Land, the Indigenous Land, whatever you want to call it. We've always acknowledged that. We pray towards Israel. You know, the Shema, Shema Yisrael. You know, and yes, of course, we're talking about the people, God of the people, but the people were always rooted in the land. Always, always. Other ones are about having um, your own legal system. And we do, the Torah. The Torah is a legally binding document. That is what halakha is, right? It's a legally binding thing. This is the Jewish law. So we have that. We have a connection with the actual land. So as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, we have Sukkot, we have Shavuot, we have Pesach, which were initially or as well as, let's say, harvest festivals. You know, we have Tubishvat, a birthday of the trees. We are instructed how to interact with nature, with the land, with, you know, Eretz, right? The land of Israel. And, I th and there's so many more. And I'm, I'm trying to think it's really... It's there's an abundance. There's really an abundance of cash root. Cash root is an indigenous practice. The breach, the circumcision is also an indigenous practice. These are things, these are laws, practices which emerged in our indigenous land and are still conducted, carried out, expressed by Jews today.
That's crazy. It's absolutely remarkable. And I believe that the word indigenous is really important because it helps us understand ourselves. It helps us reject internalized anti-Jewishness because we say, no, this is our story. Let us tell you the story. We will not be told by the wider world what it means to be a Jew, what our connection to the land of Israel is. We will tell you. And the connection is it's our indigenous land and it's our home. And again, not every Jew needs to live there. We had Jews, as you said, remaining in Babylon. We had Jews living in Alexandria, Jews living in Elephantine. Jews often lived outside the land because we were a nation like any other. But you cannot live outside the land and deny the connection we have to the land. I was born in Scotland. I lived in Hong Kong. Now I live in London. And I'm still indigenous to the land of Israel. Incredible. In just With just one minute left, um, what is the overarching message of your second book that is out now? Uh, what do you want people to take with them as your message from, from book number two? Hmm. So I better speak fast. Book number two is a deep dive into internalized anti-Jewishness. It's more commonly called self-hate, but for a variety of reasons, that's, that's not the term I use to describe this phenomenon. I want Jewish people to know that it exists in our community, number one. I would say it's a pandemic. It exists widely in our community. Number two, it's not our fault. We've done nothing wrong. We have been shamed. We've been oppressed. We have been manipulated, coerced by the wider world into perceiving ourselves a certain way or believing what they've said about us. And I, what I want people to do is do a deep dive into themselves, as I have done, identify what they may or may not experience internalized anti-Jewishness, understand the phenomenon, understand why it happens and the three main manifestations, and then work towards a solution. My work is all about a solution. It's all about Jewish pride, which I see as the answer to these issues, right? To internalized anti-Jewishness. So let's understand the problem. Let's address it in our community and then let's solve it through pride. Thank you so much. What is your number one uh, suggestion for how we can be proud? Just pick one. Oh God, it's so hard. Listen, I would say that I'm going to say that pride is a feeling. Of course, there's ways to express it, but pride is a feeling. So have a conversation with yourself. There's wonderful ways to express it, but we don't want to make those shallow. We want to make them deeply rich and meaningful. So the first thing I would say, have a conversation with yourself. What, is, what do you feel about being Jewish? How do you relate to it? What do you know about it? Because we can always grow and we can always learn. Thank you so much, Ben M. Freeman. It is so exciting to talk to you. I feel so proud to talk to you. And I feel very much a character in the story of the Jewish people when I talk to you. So thank you very much for that. Thank you. You are. I mean, we all are. It's amazing. Each of us have a responsibility. Each of us are doing really important work. Well, we are going to be very proud of reclaiming our story, The Pursuit of Jewish Pride, and we're looking out for your third book on Jewish indigeneity as well, and we'll have you back when that is ready. Thank you. All right. Well, that is it for today's show. Subscribe to the Israel Daily News Podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're hearing it from. We are everywhere. 
Don't forget to sign up to our Israel Weekly News Wrap. It's a newsletter with the top five stories coming out of Israel from throughout the week. You can sign up for that at israeldaily.news. Big thank yous go out to Maya Goodman and Dylan Jaffe for writing some of the daily news scripts that come out in the Israel Daily News podcast. And thank you so much to our social media director, Michelle Milner. I'll send you off with a song called Dublin Day by Ariella Zaitlin, a talented American-Israeli violinist. Enjoy this song. Have a great and productive day.